Hello and welcome to episode 8 of the Upper 90. I'm Sam Culp. Glad to be back talking all things Premier League here on the WMUC Sports Network of Podcasts. Got another great episode for you this week. A lot going on in the Premier League as we close out the calendar year and get into the holiday season. Liverpool absolutely battering Crystal Palace over the weekend. Tottenham losing 2-0 to Leicester. And a couple other results from around the league that shifted up the table a little bit. I'll be talking about all that and more on this week's episode. So let's get right into it, as always, with some quick hits from around the league. So the main thing on a lot of clubs' mind, and I'm sure on a lot of fans' minds, is the transfer window. We're getting closer and closer to that big mid-season window in January. A lot of clubs in dire need of an upgrade in their players. Most notably, Arsenal, who are dropping lower and lower every weekend. They lose another match uh, over the past weekend to Everton. They now sit in 15th place, and with Burnley winning today on Monday, uh, they're, Burnley's only one point back of Arsenal in 15th, so they're slowly dropping. They're definitely in need of some help. Some other clubs around the league that are looking into players, Man City, Man United, as always, looking to upgrade, and I'm sure we'll see some moves from the uh, from Liverpool and Chelsea. Uh, the 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 big rumor that I think people are talking about uh, uh, around the Premier League right now has to do with Jack Grealish, and he has been linked once again to multiple clubs. United, City, Liverpool seem to be the front runners, and and what's interesting about about these rumors is that. Four months ago, if I had told you that Jack Grealish was was linked to a move with a bigger club, or, or at least a bigger club than Aston Villa, you know, it, it would have been normal. We we wouldn't have second guessed it. He was uh, expected to move on from his hometown club in Birmingham, but uh, he signed a new deal with Aston Villa prior to this season, five year deal, and it seemed like he was there for the long run. And now he's back linked with a move um, once again, and and it's gonna take clearly a hefty fee for him to move on from Villa, but it's City and United. We know they they certainly have the resources to get a player like Grealish, and quite frankly, they could both use some creativity in their midfield. United, I think, probably needs him a little less. They've they've seen some of their um some of their midfielders really come along this season. I think you can definitely make the case that Bruno Fernandez has turned into one of the best attacking midfielders in the Premier League. Daniel James too is looking like a really great young fit uh, for, for that United squad. He scored a goal over the weekend against Leeds. And then, of course, you have Marcus Rashford and, and Martial who can uh, interchange between the attacking midfielder position and striker. So United doesn't really seem like a great fit at this time. I, I But I do think City, uh, City could be a place where Grealish would really want to go and move his career forward a little. Obviously, at City, you're you're in a much greater spotlight uh, with a coach like Pep Guardiola who can, you know, bring you to the next level. And right, right now, Jack Grealish is kind of in that stage where he's he's a star. There's no doubt about that. But I wouldn't say he's a superstar yet. And playing for Man City and possibly winning a title under Guardiola can get him there. The, the question now that remains is, First of all, will Grealish want to move on? And second of all, what what's the price tag here? What are we talking about? And what we, we know the price tag is going to be high. And we know that because Liverpool are in the running and they have a tendency to uh, step into big name 
races for players in the transfer market when there's a bidding war going on, when when the price is being stacked up higher and higher. And I think we can expect that uh, as as January ensues. I, I don't think he'll move in January. I think a summer uh, transfer is much more likely, but it, it is an interesting story to watch. And with Villa playing r- pretty well right now, top 10 in the league after almost being relegated last season. So you got to think, is there something going on behind the scenes here with Grealish and Aston Villa? Um, he's not Grealish is not exactly a uh, a player that lacks personality. He's um, He's very... I don't know what the word is. He's not afraid to get himself into some sticky situations. I'll put it that way. And uh, there, there may be something going on behind the scenes that we don't know about, or this could just be the normal speculation that comes with a player of Grealish's stature and with the club he plays against or plays with. Sorry. So it, it will be an interesting situation to monitor, monitor with one of the bigger names on the transfer market. As for Arsenal, and I mentioned them a little just a minute ago about. Uh, their needs. They desperately could use a creative midfielder. Remember, they did acquire Thomas Partey at the very end of the summer transfer window for £45 million. That's a great signing. Unfortunately, though, he's missed a lot of time due to injury. Actually, Arteta brought him back in the North London Derby, and after coming back from injury, Arteta deemed him fit. He played about a half before having to be subbed out due to injury, so he he apparently re-aggravated that and uh, whatever the injury was and hasn't been back since. Nonetheless, though, they could they could definitely use some midfield help, and I think they need to be aggressive in this window if they want any chance to turn their fortunes around. And it's crazy to say, but to, to pull them out of their relegation zone and, and a relegation dogfight with some other good clubs that are coming for their spot. They're, they're, they were dealt a blow, though, uh, a couple of days ago, their expected number one target for the transfer window would have been Hassam Awar, the uh, the young midfielder from Lyon. He was only 22, was heavily, heavily linked with Arsenal during the summer, and it was almost to a guarantee that he would be coming to London uh, for, for this Premier League season. And then Arsenal changed track when they saw that Partey was available, and, and Partey is a better player. It was actually a, a smart move to go get him for just $45 million. But... It was expected that Arsenal were going to go for him again in the winter, but he said he's been saying for the last couple of days in interviews that he's not moving. He's staying with Leon in League One, and and uh, so that that's a huge blow to Arsenal. They could really use his talent. He's a great goal scorer too, so he can attack and provide some creativity in the midfield that Arsenal have been lacking. Their options, quite frankly, at this point are somewhat limited, and it's not even counting the fact that. I'm not sure that many top quality players are going to want to come to Arsenal with their financial situation and their quality of play on the pitch this season. Uh, I'm not going to go as far to say Mikel Arteta managing is is a turnoff at this point, but uh, it's definitely a concern. One name that I'm sure Arsenal are going to look at is uh, Maxi Gomez from Valencia. He's a forward, but he can slide back into the attacking midfield position. Uh, he's, he, he's cheap, probably somewhere around 30 million, um, which which for a player is only 24 and has played in, in uh, regularly in La Liga. That's a pretty good price. The only issue with him is he has a massive release clause uh, that will have to be paid out through uh, for for multiple years, probably around four. That's how long his contract is at Valencia. 
So uh, that that's one option. Not not a midfielder, but a guy who can definitely add some pace and uh, some flair into a squad that needs it. Another attacking player that could be a a good find uh, for the right price is Philippe Coutinho. Now, <laughs> I'm I'm sure this is going to anger some Arsenal fans and. And I understand why he's had a serious drop off in form since he left Liverpool in 2018, um, and Barcelona are now really just trying to get rid of him for uh, not a whole lot. But in terms of cheap options, with guys who have played at the top level and and maybe um, have potential to get back to that form, he he's he's one of the top options really. Um, he's, he's still only 28. He's got a couple more years left where he can keep up the same pace, uh, with the players around him. He's not declining yet, even though he's had a couple of bad seasons at Barcelona and, uh, uh, Bayern Munich last year, but you can still get production out of him. And I, I think a move to Arsenal would certainly fit with what they need. Again, they need, they need attacking talent, so badly, they they their shots on goal, shots on target, um, goals for close to the bottom of the Premier League right now, and it's it's crazy because just a couple of years ago we were talking about Arsenal's defensive problems, and now we're talking about their inability to score goals, and Coutinho could definitely help with that. I know uh, he's he's got some baggage that that comes with assigning uh, like that, and it's gonna not please some fans, but um, he's he's what. Arsenal wanted from Willian, I'd say. They, they wanted, when they signed Willian from Chelsea, they wanted a player who's going to give that uh, a, a ability to move the ball upfield, uh, have pace to be able to run at the defense and open up space for guys like Aubameyang and Lacazette. Now, Willian hasn't turned out to be that, and, he, and Arsenal and Edu should have never thought he was going to be that. But, you know, they made a mistake by signing him, and, and Coutinho, they could get the type of player they wanted originally. A couple other names that have floated around the rumor mill, Christian Eriksen, maybe, doesn't seem likely that he'd want to move back to the Premier League, especially with Arsenal. Isco um, is, is another name that, that I've heard, Emi Buendia too. I mean, it, it's going to be tough to get these guys, quite frankly, with, with where Arsenal sits and, and also their financial position, just like pretty much every other club in the Premier League. They've lost a lot of money, so... They're in a tough position, and uh, this is not a an easy fix for Arsenal right now. That is more clear than ever. This is going to take multiple transfer windows to get things right. They also, and maybe more importantly, have to focus on selling players. They have a ton of deadwood right now on their books. Not just Mesut Ozil, um, who is taking up 300 million pounds of wage. They need to find a way to get rid of him because they're seemingly not going to play, uh, play him. But Mustafi, Kalazanac, these guys that have been uh, been at Arsenal since the Arsene Wenger reign, they've got to go and Arsenal and Edu have to find a way to get them off their books. There are definitely a lot of transfer rumors swirling around the Premier League right now, but let's get into the games that happened from the last weekend because there are a couple of big results. None more consequential than Leicester beating Tottenham 2-0 Tottenham's second straight loss now in the Premier League they drop all the way back to sixth while Leicester jump into the top two just four points behind Liverpool now for that top spot in the title race 
Tottenham definitely played this game with a much different style. It's important to note that in the first half, I thought they came out pretty strong and attacked Leicester's defense that has been up and down at times throughout this season. And they got some opportunities to to score, uh, especially earlier in the early in the half. Harry Kane had a chance. Um, there were a couple other long distance attempts that that were pretty close, just went wide. So it's not like Tottenham were were bad in the first half. They just weren't able to capitalize on their opportunities that, um, you know, against a team like Leicester, that's experience you, you want to take and convert on. And and the, the biggest takeaway from this match from Spurs is consistent, consistently high-level play. They have the talent to contend for a title, that's for sure, but it's a question of can those guys live up to the the I don't want to say burden but the expectation of play that has been put upon that has been put upon them by Jose Mourinho and the Tottenham fan base and to me those expectations aren't too lofty uh, the, the way Mourinho plays it everyone has to do their job and if they do it you, you at least get some points out of matches and and here's when we get to the the bottom line with Spurs in this match is that they didn't do what the players didn't do what they were set they set out to do. Things really went off the rails late in the first half when Serge Aurier practically gifted Leicester a penalty, just a a, a horrific mistake that really cost Tottenham in a big way. So situation Leicester trying to attack in the closing minutes. I believe it was in the in the first and only minute of stoppage time in the first half. Uh, Fofana trying to dribble around on the left-hand side of the box, cut back inside, and Aurier comes over and just completely body checks him in the back. Obvious penalty. It actually wasn't called at first. I think VAR had to step in and and, uh, make sure of it, but it's a clear and obvious penalty. Fofana, his back was facing Aurier. There's no reason for Aurier to come over and shove him if he just stands there and let Fofana um, uh, take a touch. He probably gains possession and Tottenham close out the half with it still being nil-nil. But a penalty is is given to Leicester and Jamie Vardy converts. And from there, the game completely changed because you go into halftime now, instead of tied nil-nil in a half where Spurs played well. I thought they played pretty well. all things considered, you know, we saw them against Liverpool really struggle on the attack, and I thought they were better against Leicester. Leicester were still uh, uh, gaining chances of their own, so it wasn't a completely dominant half from, from Tottenham, but, you know, they were still in the match, and then the penalty is given, and you go down 1-0, headed into the locker room. It just takes all of the momentum out of the match, everything that Spurs built now out the window, and, and you have to come behind from down a goal. And they started off the half horribly. This is when we get to the real controversy of controversy of this match. Leicester, right out the gate, was on the, the front foot. James Madison had a great chance, a ball over the top, takes a brilliant first touch onto goal and scores and, and converts what it looks like a 2-0 lead for Leicester, which is huge. This was two minutes, I think, after halftime, 47th minute, something like that. So right away, Leicester takes advantage of the momentum that they built at the end of the first half. But VAR steps in. And how many times have we seen a situation like this? A goal that look from the eye looks clear, it looks good, no offside, and VAR steps in 
and does their thing. With the VAR lines, it they they said basically that Madison's hand, maybe even a couple fingers, were offside. There's a couple problems with what I saw from the VAR review. First of all, my understanding of the offside rule is it has to be a body part that you can score a goal with offside for it to be offside, for, for the goal to be disallowed and, um, and, and, and overturned. Madison's hand was offside. I don't think James Madison is scoring a goal with his hand unless I completely am mistaken on the rules of football. So that's one thing. That's one issue. I'm not sure why his hand being a centimeter offside, if it was that, should factor into the goal being allowed or not at all. The second issue is the angle in which VAR is used to determine if Madison or any player is is offside. If you want a conclusive uh, look to see if a player is offside, it needs to be straight down. You cannot have an overhead shot from 45 degrees, which is what they always use in these offside rulings. And it's terrible because you can't conclude that a player is offside if you're not looking straight down the line, straight on that offside line, and, and see if a player is ahead of that. And once again, the lines are drawn. I, I mean, the lines are its so aggravating. The lines are drawn. Madison's hand, centimeters offside. Goal, a, a, a beautiful goal by James Madison is disallowed. And it, it, it gave Tottenham a chance to get back into the game. Listen, I've, I've been a proponent of VAR since its introduction. I think video review is uh, an important part of sports nowadays. We have the technology to make the best rulings. We should use it. However, things need to be more specific when, with VAR. In the NFL, in the MLB, and in, in all the sports that use video review, there are definitive rules that determine upon review whether a play stands, whether it's changed, or whatnot. In football, we don't have that. It's loosey-goosey. It's, yeah, his hand is offside, so we're not going to rule it. Um, the penalty is, we uh, upon review, it is a penalty. It's not a penalty. There's no definitive uh, uh, rules. It's all subjective. And with the offside, it's a little better because we do have... Um, you know, the the lines and the it, it's objective in some ways. However, as a fan, I'm still confused about the offside rule. It's very similar to handball, which is still up in the air as, as to what is a handball and when a penalty should be awarded if there's a handball in, a, in the box. And, and it has to be reformed in a way where everyone understands what's, what the rule is and what is being expected from VAR when it is used to determine if a player is offside. Thankfully for Leicester, it didn't hurt them too much. Jamie Vardy scored. Uh, actually, it was technically an own goal by Alderweireld. Um, so it didn't really hurt Leicester. They they still went up 2-0 and were able to close out the game and, and get a, a massive three points as they are starting to resurge back into the title race after losing to Everton and Fulham in the last couple weeks. They're all, they're second in the table. They have, they're sitting in a great position. They already have a win over Spurs, which is huge. We know they're, those uh, teams still are going to be in the title hunt. And I'll talk a little bit later. Uh, I put a poll question on Twitter 
is Tottenham still, are they still title contenders even after what we've seen after the past two matches? And I'll, I'll talk about the results I got from that poll in just a second. One of the other really exciting matches from the weekend was Chelsea versus West Ham. The Blues coming out with a 3-0 victory. Massive, massive win to get their season back on track. West Ham have had Chelsea's number in recent years, beating them there in their past two meetings. So uh, I, I know a lot of Chelsea fans were really nervous about this match, especially with the poor form from uh, uh, some of the key Chelsea players like Timo Werner. One thing I said on last week's podcast when I was previewing this game is that Chelsea need to start off fast. It's a necessity. Um, they, in their losses, the past two uh, matches before this one, they had started off really slow. It just lets the other their opponent get into the match and get comfortable. And with a young team like West Ham, that's not something that you want to do. You want to make them uncomfortable from the start. That's exactly what Chelsea did. Frank Lampard took his hand off the break. Chelsea were super aggressive in the first 20 minutes, and Thiago Silva had a great goal from a corner. He's been an incredible addition, one of the best signings in the Premier League on a free transfer, and he's turned into, he's a he's a top-tier center back in the world, and especially in the Premier League. From there, West Ham probably owned the rest of the first half after the 20 minutes. They had a lot of possession, definitely more than I was expecting, but Chelsea were able to hold their lines and prevent any major chances uh, from coming in. West Ham had a couple of shots on goal, but Edward Mendy was able to handle them. Another really nice addition for for a low cost from Chelsea. Second half, uh, again, West Ham came out strong. It looked like they were going to possibly even this game up at one, if not take the lead and... um, Chelsea were not being aggressive as they should have been, and a lot of that has to do with Timo Werner still struggling. Uh, he's he's significantly fallen off in the in the past nine matches where he's goalless in all of those matches. Uh, personally, I I think some of that has to do with his positioning. Frank Lampard has opted to put him on the left wing or the right wing, um, opposite Christian Pulisic and. That's not his true role. I think he needs to be up front if he wants to succeed. Now, the problem with that is that you have Tammy Abraham and Olivier Giroud there, two quality strikers. So unless Lampard's going to change up the formation, which he's probably not going to do, Timo's not going to get a lot of time up front, and he's going to have to adjust a little bit more to being on the wings, and that just takes time. So I expect him to... um, to to really put, uh, come on and start scoring goals again later in the season. He did get counted with an assist on Tamri, Tammy Abraham's first goal of the match in the 78th minute, although it looked like he just scuffed a shot, and Abraham was there to clean it up and finish it right in front of goal. Abraham again scored in the 80th minute to really close it out for the 3-0 win for Chelsea. They have Arsenal next week, and... Talked about Arsenal's struggle, so this should be an easy match for the Blues, but really never know in a London derby. I'm definitely nervous with all of the banter that's that's come out from the Chelsea faithful on social media towards Arsenal. I'm worried that, uh, that we might get stabbed in the back a little bit by the team, if uh, especially if they don't win convincingly. They, Chelsea need to win convincingly, I think, for, um, for, for Blues fans to be content with where the team sits uh, at the close of the calendar year.
Arsenal loses 2-1 to Everton. I don't think this should really come as a surprise to anyone. Everton seem to be trending back up after a, a a down period where they lost a couple of matches and looked like they had really dropped off in form. And and this is what we're going to see from Everton throughout the year. It's it's they're not the only club that's that's been topsy turvy. We, we you know Tottenham, Leeds, uh, which I'll get to a little bit later. But Everton beats Arsenal two one, huge victory, holding with the own goal in the twenty second minute. Uh, uh, Arsenal actually came back and tied this one up thanks to Nicola Pepe, a really nice uh, penalty finish. Still no uh, goals for Arsenal from open play, which is concerning. Um, it, again, it's it's the opposite problem that Arsenal had from last year, which was not being good enough on defense. Now they're not able to score goals with Pierre Mkhabamiang being completely off form, and he's actually now hurt. He's going to miss this weekend's London Derby between Chelsea and Arsenal, which I'll preview later in the episode. Getting back to the match, Everton 1-1, and then Yuri Mina scores a brilliant header from the left, from the uh, near post on the left-hand side. Completely unmarked, easy finish for uh, Amina, who we know is exceptional in set pieces, especially aerially. And when he goes unmarked, like he did on uh, on Saturday against Arsenal. He's going to finish, and it's got to be better defensive coordination by Arsenal. I was just talking about how their problems, for the most part this year, have been on the offensive side, but it's these lapses in concentration that will really kill you, especially when you have a chance you just even things up uh, against a team like Everton, and now you go behind 2-1 right on the stroke of halftime. Similar kind of match flow to what we saw in the Tottenham Leicester game where Leicester was able to capitalize just before the half, go in with the momentum, and then come out in the second half with all the momentum, and it's it was very similar for Everton. They pretty much dominated the second half of the match. Uh, Arsenal didn't have many chances to come back into it. You know, I have to give a couple players on their squad credit. Bukayo Saka uh, uh, is looking like he's going to be a, a tremendous player for Arsenal. And it's a shame that his his young career is starting off in such a poor fashion, thanks to the teammates around him who aren't performing, uh, uh, like Rob Holding, who had the own goal. Danny Ceballos has really dropped off. I mean, we can we can look at a lot of guys on this Arsenal team that have have had terrible runs of form this season, and it's not all on Mikel Arteta because the players have to do better. Although, I, there's one gripe that I have with Arteta's selection in this game, and it's with Eddie Nketiah starting over Alexandre Lacazette. Unless I am mistaken, I don't think Lacazette was hurt, but in a, in a central forward role, why are you playing Nketiah, who's very inexperienced in the Premier League, only 21 years of age, and hasn't exactly displayed anything spectacular over Lacazette, who, even at his worst, is still a threat still a guy that you can semi-rely on to create chances and put the ball on goal. And, I mean, again, not really much offensive pressure in the second half for Arsenal really let them down, and they lose yet another match, four out of the last five in the league losses. You're you're not going to make up ground that way in the table if you keep losing games consistently. 
And now Burnley's only one point back of them. They're only four points out of the relegation zone. It's looking really bad for Arsenal right now. While I'm on the topic of Arsenal, I'm going to quickly preview this weekend's big matchup between Chelsea and Arsenal at the Emirates. Boxing Day, London Derby, you can't ask for much more than this, no matter which club you support. And I know as a Chelsea fan, I'm really excited to hand it to Arsenal after losing to them in the FA Cup final last year. You know, I, I say that that I'm excited for Chelsea to go out and dominate in this match, but it's also a trap game in many senses. Uh, you know, Chelsea just rebounded from a poor run of form with a 3-0 win against West Ham and Arsenal are certainly on the decline. So coming into this game, they're really polar opposites, but this is one of those matches where you would expect, now with Arsenal, you really don't know, but you would expect their players to turn up and show out against their second biggest rival behind Tottenham. So I think it's going to be a lot closer than people expect, especially if Aubameyang plays. It's looking like he's not going to, and Chelsea already missing their two wingbacks, Ben Chilwell and Reese James. So injuries are certainly surrounding this game, but if Arsenal can somehow get Aubameyang back for this matchup, that's huge. He has played really well against Chelsea in the past, scoring in the FA Cup final and, and other matches in the league in previous years against them. So he's certainly a threat. Outside of that, though, I think the biggest question is can Arsenal prevent Chelsea's attack from scoring goals? And more specifically, how are they going to defend against Chelsea's wingers, Christian Pulisic, and presumably Timo Werner, unless he gets switched up front, which I would like to see, but I doubt Frank Lampard puts him there with all the injuries surrounding Chelsea. Um, And the reason I talk about this is because while Arsenal's defense has been pretty strong this season, they've really struggled on the wings whether it's Hector Bellerin, Kieran Tierney has had a, a nice season. I'll give him credit for that. But Rob Holding has struggled. And um, I'm not exactly certain if Bellerin is going to be available for this match. He was benched against Arsenal or Everton, excuse me. Uh, so that that's another uh, lineup question. But no matter who's playing, you know Pulisic is going to be dangerous on the left. And he scored against Arsenal in the FA Cup final. So... Uh, he's got some experience going against this club. Also in the middle, I think if Gabriel doesn't play and, and it's just David Luiz in that 3-4-3, then, I mean, that's Luiz can be exposed. And, uh, you know, Tam- Tammy Abraham has the potential here to have a big game and score hopefully a goal, if not more. Um, so I know their Arsenal defense has played well this season, but... I'm not sure they're going to be able to hold up against Chelsea's attack, which is why Chelsea, to me, has the upper hand. I'm going to say it's going to be 2-1. I think it's going to be closer than people expect. I think, uh, I'm guessing Lacazette starts, and I think he gets a goal, but Chelsea are just too strong. And as long as they work the midfield and hold possession, which is especially key considering uh, Arsenal's midfield struggles, then I think they win this matchup. Getting back to some of the matchups, getting back to some of the matches from the weekend, I talked about it in the open, Liverpool absolutely battering Crystal Palace, 7-0 uh, at Selhurst Park too, to add to the uh, to the pain for Palace, 
Uh, I also believe they had fans in the stands. I'm not entirely sure about that. But nonetheless, Liverpool dominated, started right out the gate with one of the more unlikely goal scorers for Liverpool, Takumi Minamino scoring in the third minute. And then from there, it was just an absolute rout. Mane scored uh, in the 35th, Firmino twice, Henderson, Salah twice, 7-0, one of the biggest defeats we've seen in the Premier League this season against Crystal Palace, who uh, are, are still sitting relatively high in the table, higher than I expected. I had them near the relegation zone. That was my prediction at the start of the year, and now they're in 13th with some good results uh, in their pocket. They drew with Tottenham. They've drawn with West Ham, too, beat West Brom just a couple weeks ago, 5-1. to one. So this is a good squad. I mean, uh, Liverpool obviously came into this match as favorites, but I don't think anyone expected them to dominate this much. It's another victory that just speaks to the system that Jurgen Klopp has built at Liverpool. It doesn't matter at this point what players are healthy. I mean, it obviously makes them better if they have Trent Alexander-Arnold and Virgil van Dijk, but it's it's all about the system at Liverpool. It's all about the buy-in, and uh, much like Marcelo Bielsa at Leeds, Jurgen Klopp is finding players that fit his system. He's not creating a system around the players that he finds. In other words, he gets who he wants. And now that Liverpool have a league title to boot, they they can be as selective as they want with, with their transfers, and it shows. Diego Jata, $45 million. That's a steal when you've looked at his production this season. He's injured now, which is unfortunate. But when he was healthy, Jata was arguably Liverpool's best goal-scoring threat. Um, they they get Thiago from Bayern Munich, which is an incredible find. He fits their system so well, just just slides right into that midfield and is able to distribute to that uh, brilliant attacking three that Liverpool have. He's also hurt. Um, they, they have quite a few linger, injuries right now at Liverpool. But um, it, it just speaks to to the system that Jurgen Klopp has built, his ability to find quality players in the transfer market. We don't talk a lot about the busts that that Liverpool have had in recent years. You know, Chelsea paid eighty million to Kepa, uh, Arsenal paid seventy million to Pepe, two players that have not produced in the Premier League. Liverpool doesn't have a player, one player really like that. Um, and in this upcoming January transfer window, we'll see how aggressive they are. They have been linked to Jack Grealish, and it seems unlikely that he would move on from Aston Villa just after signing a five-year contract, but uh, they want him, and they we know Liverpool will are willing to spend uh, uh, enormous amounts of money to get the players they want. So if they don't get him in the, in, in the winter, they really want Jack Grealish, they're going to go hard after him, and you'd have to think eventually they would sign him to a deal. Um, going forward, Liverpool are, are by far the title favorites. I think they've secured that uh, that moniker now with the way they played in the absence of some of their key players. <coughs> Excuse me. Um, and, and, you know, I've talked about it in previous episodes, but they're just going to keep getting healthy. They're going to keep getting fit and only improve from here. And that's a scary thought to a fan of any other Premier League club, that they're only going to get better from this. 7-0 is just a sign of things to come in the latter half of the season.
Manchester United also had a wide margin of victory over the weekend. They beat Leeds 6-2. Uh, to, to start with talking about Leeds, um, I, I saw on Twitter, and I found this really funny, uh, uh, The I think it was a reporter was saying, Leeds is the most fun Premier League team to watch, but it's an even more fun team to play against, meaning... Their defense is so poor right now that it's pretty much open season. And uh, Manchester United took full advantage of Leeds' defensive struggles. They put up six goals and cruised to an easy win. Uh, they're getting hot at the right time, too. It's, it's, uh, it's going to be really competitive at the top. And although they struggled against Sheffield, Sheffield United and, um, and, and conceded two goals and only won by, by a goal, they could be hitting their stride at the right time. And we always get ahead of ourselves with Manchester United, so I'm not going to stretch things too far. But they, they just have to be consistent, I think, to, to really be serious title contenders. And they're not there yet. And they still have things to work on, especially with the defense. Um, you know, Lindelof, Harry Maguire are two great players, but they, they just have to stay focused every match. And I think they have a, a huge test on Boxing Day against Leicester City. Leicester coming off of that win against Tottenham. I'm curious to see how res- they'll respond to that um, and con- and try to continue their successes, but also how United responds from a six-goal affair. Um, so that that's, that's going to be a really competitive matchup. I, I would expect United to come out aggressive and not sit back necessarily like Tottenham did. So I think you're looking at a lot of goals in this match. Um, I, it, it's going to be one, one thriller to watch. Unfortunately, it is at 7 a.m. on Saturday. That is a real bummer. But it's one of those matches where you set the alarm for 7, get a cup of coffee, sit down and watch some high-quality football, even if it is at the crack of dawn on a Saturday. Just to round out the slate of matches from the weekend, I'm going to go through a couple quickly. Man City beats Southampton 1-0. That's a good win for City. They're now undefeated in their last five Premier League matches after that 2-0 loss to Tottenham at the end of November. And, and they're currently in eighth in the table, but with only eight points separating Liverpool and Man City, they can absolutely make up that ground and continue to uh, for, on their quest of overthrowing Liverpool, but it's going to be really challenging. And because they drop points early in the season, it might cost them later down the road. Newcastle and Fulham drew 1-1, as did Brighton and Sheffield. Um, and Aston Villa beat West Brom 3-0, and Burnley beat Wolves 2-1. So it looks like, you know, somehow... This Premier League table is getting even more compact. Burnley now with another win under their belt after beating Arsenal. Only one point back of the Gunners. They're making up ground. Aston Villa continue to be strong. Uh, They're in ninth with 22 points with no signs of slowing down. Newcastle, meanwhile, is an interesting story. They have struggled uh, in in the past couple weeks, uh, dropping points in their last two matches. They have 18 points so far in the season, five wins, three draws, six losses. Uh, they, they are one of these clubs that you, you've got to watch out for 
when it comes to relegation. They are dropping points quickly. They have a couple players injured and haven't been playing their best football. So, uh, you know, with that 1-1 draw against Fulham, by the way, Fulham was playing with 10 men. Who knows? They could be one of those late-season clubs that start to drop off and end up being relegated, which should be a shock. Newcastle have been a mainstay in the Premier League for the last uh, five years or so. So let's end this episode with this week's poll question that I put out on Twitter, at Culp underscore Sam is where you can find me. This week's question was, do you think Tottenham are still title contenders despite dropping points in their last two matches? It was split right down the middle. You guys aren't giving me anything. 50-50, yes and no. Um, I've I've heard a lot of people on Twitter saying that you know Tottenham were never title contenders. They just don't have the talent right now to compete. Mourinho uh, always does this. He always looks good at first and then drops off. They're not going to be able to sustain this through, through the whole season. And I think there is some validity to that. You know, we've we've gotten caught up in this classic Spurs thing where they they have a good squad and they just fall short all the time. They reach finals and are able, unable to get their hands on the silverware. They they have a great Premier League season, but are unable to attain that ultimate goal of winning the Premier League. Um, you know, the, Mourinho is, um, I mean, he is, he's such a controversial figure, and I understand why people have, have those perceptions about him that he uh, is unable to keep a club at its top form throughout the whole season. However, I'm not quite ready to give up on Tottenham just yet, and there are a couple reasons why. First of all, They've somehow managed to stay healthy through all of this. Um, other clubs have had a slew of injuries. Chelsea, uh, even Man City, and of course Liverpool have all had key players go down with injury, and Tottenham haven't. They've been able to avoid the injuries and keep their star players fit. Harry Kane, Son, Regulon, all haven't gone down with injury this season, and that's that's huge um, with the compact match scheduling and the increased likelihood of muscle injury. So that's that's one reason why they've been able to avoid the injury bug. And if they continue to do that, that's one key component of winning the title, staying healthy. The other reason, though, and the, and the more important thing that I've noticed with Tottenham is that they finally, they have a very distinct system in place. And I think that's going to help them throughout the long run. Now, that system might not work in every game. They might still lose to Leicester and Liverpool's and some of the bigger clubs. However, I think against uh, the smaller teams, they're going to be able to find success and they're going to be able to keep pace with Liverpool because of that. Their defense, when when their players are locked in, when Serge Aurier isn't committing stupid penalties, and when they're they're not, uh, when Eric Dyer isn't losing focus in that center back position. They can be really strong and the best defense in the Premier League. It's just a question of staying focused and staying engaged throughout 90 minutes. Over the course of the season, I think they'll be able to do that, and I think Harry Kane and uh, and Son will be able to score enough goals to keep Tottenham competing in that top four area. You really never know with, with this season. It's been madness already, um, and uh, Tottenham are, are just another one of those clubs that could could have a, a great season, could turn things around um, with how they're playing right now, or this is just who they are and they're going to drop out of the top four and open up a spot for maybe an Aston Villa, a West Ham, one of these smaller clubs. 
that is going to do it for episode eight of the upper 90 you can follow me on twitter at culp underscore sam you can follow wmuc sports at wmuc sports as always thank you so much for listening happy holidays everyone i'll talk to you next week Thank you.